over the uh, over the years years ago, I had the opportunity, the privilege. I, I got hired to work in a speech communication department at uh, Grace College, and uh, I taught classes in broadcasting. But then I also worked with students as they gave their speeches, and then I would sit and evaluate with them their speeches and try to help them do better. And, and having some of that background in communication, I'm always interested in communication studies. And, and it's interesting, those people who really know a lot about that say that there are different levels that we communicate on. Level one is what they call just exchanging facts. Sure, it's a beautiful day we have out there. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. You know, but it probably is going to rain. You know, we, those are just facts. They, they don't mean anything, really. It's, it's a way to connect, but they, they really don't mean anything. It's, uh, it's, it's safe. Facts are safe. You know, did you, did you see the meteor shower last night? Oh, no, I went to bed too, too early, but I, I, I'll check it out on YouTube. Then there's level two. Level two is when I share the beliefs or opinions of someone else. Well, my mother always used to say, one of my mother's phrases, it was a phrase of mind your own business. It was sweep around your own back door. You know, take care of your stuff. Abraham Lincoln once said, a country, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. I'm sharing the opinion of another. It's still very safe. It doesn't put me at risk. Level three is when I start to share a little bit of my opinions. I think the Bears are going to be really good this year. Oh, come on, Scott. You can't believe that. The Bears are still rebuilding. Justin Fields hasn't proven himself yet. I think Chicago-style pizza is absolutely the best. You haven't had New York-style pizza then. It's the best. No, you guys bend the crust. Our pizza's a meal. That's sharing opinions or beliefs. Now you're starting to kind of share things that you can kind of disagree with. Level four communication goes a bit deeper. We start to share our feelings. I remember talking to someone once. His son had, got, had been cut from tryouts at a basketball team. And this individual said to me, I, I don't know how to relate. I never got cut from anything. I went, oh, man, I can relate. I remember getting, I remember like it was yesterday getting cut from a baseball team that I had worked so hard to make. I, I, I know what that means. You start feeling, sharing your feelings. Yeah, I, I get it. I know what it means. I know what it means to suffer loss. I know what it means to, to, to bury your parents, and, and you could go on and on. I know what that means. I know what that's like. But level five, level five communication, you're really vulnerable. Level five communication is you are really trusting the person to whom you are communicating to to accept you and to hear you as you express your needs, your desires, uh, even as you express maybe even your hopes and your dreams. In level five communication, you might say to someone, I just need you to listen while I process out loud what has just happened. I need you just to be there for me. I, I need you to hear me. I don't need you to talk right now. Just listen. That's level five communication. Level five communication is one of my big dreams. One of my big desires is to, and you express it and they accept it. We are in our final section of the book of Romans. In fact, if you want to take your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 15. And we're in the last part of Romans 15. You'll say, wait a minute, there's Romans 16. If you'll recall, we started all the way back in January 
in Romans 16 as we looked at the people to whom Paul was ministering or who, to whom he was writing. So we're wrapping this all up in Romans 15 where Paul shares in this latter half his deep longings, his desire, his dream, his plan for the future. And I find in this section, even though many of the people who were receiving this letter didn't know Paul, I think that's something we need to be aware of. Yes, he mentions a bunch of names, but if you read chapter 16, you realize he only knew personally about 11 of those 30 people that he mentions. And the rest of them are people he knows by reputation. But if there were, as scholars believe, somewhere between 100 and 120 people that made up the various house churches in Rome, then 30 names is not much. So there were a bunch of people Paul had never met, and yet he takes the risk of sharing his deepest concern and one of his deepest longings. It's as he jumps into a level five communication. He tells them of his lifelong dream. He tells them of the goals he wants to meet before, before he gets to that dream. He tells them of his deep concerns. And I believe because Paul has confidence in God and confidence in what God is doing that he has the grace to be very open and honest with the Roman church. He's not afraid what they will think of him because he's doing what he believes God has placed before him. You and I can be so bold, but we need to know there are some caveats along the way, and we need to be aware of them. Some of us talk about our dreams, our desires, our hopes, our goals, and that's great, but when we're dealing with God, we have to make sure we hold all of those in an open hand. You see, because of God's grace, if I were to summarize this whole sermon in a sentence, it would be this, because of God's grace... We can dream God-sized dreams, but we wait on God's timing and we depend on God's power to move forward. Let me say that again. Because of God's grace, we can dream God-sized dreams, but we wait on God's timing and we depend on God's power to move forward. So let's look at Romans 15. And let me begin by reading a few verses, uh, beginning with verse 22. In verse 21, Paul says, I want to, he, he reminds them that he, in 20 and 21, I want to go where the gospel hasn't been preached yet. And he says, and he quotes Isaiah, then he says this, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. This desire to go where, uh, kind of the Star Trek verse, to go where no one has gone before. This desire has hindered Paul. He says, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. 
They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I read this, I went back and looked at past notes, and I read it again, and the first thing I think I drew from these first verses is simply this, because of God's grace, you can have a dream worth pursuing. Because of God's grace, you can have a dream worth pursuing. Paul is a realist. Paul expresses that realism in verse 22. The work I've done has hindered me from getting to you. And he transitions into that desire to go to people who have not yet heard. Paul tells him first, I have been longing for many years to visit you. Part of Paul's dream was, I want to go to Rome. I want to visit you. I've heard about the church in Rome. You know, but but in, in, the, in the meantime, Paul had worked very hard and been through so much to visit, to, to build house churches, to establish house churches throughout Asia Minor. We only know what's mentioned in the various letters that, that he wrote. But in the meantime, Paul was not only establishing house churches, Paul took so many people under his wing, and he trained them, and he helped them, and he built them up. I mean, you think about it. Timothy, Titus, Phoebe, Lydia, Priscilla and Aquila, and, and then we see in Acts that they took Apollos under their wing, and, and they helped him grow. And, and then even John Mark, and in the early part of Acts, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey, and John Mark couldn't handle it. He packed up and he went home. And in fact, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas were going to go back out again. And Barnabas said, let's give John Mark a second chance. And, and, and it's such a sad part. Paul and Barnabas got into such a heated argument that they separated. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. But that wasn't the end of John Mark's story. Because in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul is in prison, he's waiting to be martyred for his faith. He reaches out to Timothy. He says, come, come before winter. Bring my coat. Bring the parchments. And get Mark, for he has become valuable to me. What a great story. Paul had been part of so many people's lives. Paul knew that he wasn't the only one doing the work. Peter, John, Thomas, all the other apostles were out doing the work. And Paul's evaluation was, it's time to go to some new places, beginning with coming to Rome and visiting you there. By the way, Paul did not start the house churches in Rome, and neither did Peter. The best we can tell from the biblical record is that the house churches in Rome were started by folks that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that day that the Holy Spirit came and the 120 went out and they preached, and then Peter preached from Joel and talked about young men and young women dreaming, dream, 
dreaming visions and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it says in Acts 2.10, there were people from Rome there that day. No doubt some of them were part of the thousands that came to faith in Christ and went back home to Rome and began to start worshiping God. And, and may have started in the various synagogues that were in Rome, but then moved out. So here it was, and Paul says, I want to come to you. I want to come. I don't want to just know 11 of you. I don't want to just know the names of 30 of you. I want to come, and I want to get to know you. I want to encourage you. I want to be encouraged by you. Chapter 1, he says, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you, and I want to receive from you. I want to have that community with you. But it hadn't happened yet. That's his dream. That's his desire. What a great dream. But it hadn't happened yet. He was still longing for it. Two things stand out for me here. Yes, we can dream great dreams for God. But one, we have to know that God does not always rearrange circumstances so that my dreams can happen. That doesn't mean I let go of the desire. It means I know that God may not have the same timing I do. Most of my dreams I want to happen like yesterday. God says, no, you need to wait. And a second principle here is I have to choose not to force or manipulate circumstances or people to make my desire become my reality and then call it God's work. I have seen that happen. Let me say that again. I think that is a, such an important principle. It is important that I choose not to force or manipulate circumstances or people to make my desire my reality and then somehow call it God's work. Two quick illustrations. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is sitting there, he's in the palace. And, and he's looking around, and he just has a deep dream. He has a big dream. He has a God-sized dream. He wants to build a temple for God. I'm in my house. God doesn't have his house. God's still dwelling in a tent. He calls the prophet Nathan in. He says, Nathan, I have this big desire. I want to build this amazing temple for God. I, I want it to be great. And Nathan says, you know what? Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Nathan leaves, he goes home, and in the middle of the night, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, no, Nathan, you missed it. This is not my plan for David. It's, David is not going to be the one to build my temple. And Nathan goes back to David, he says, here's what the Lord says, you're not going to build the temple. Some, one after you is going to build the temple, but God is going to establish your house, your dynasty, and, and one from who's, one's going to come from there. And we know that it was through the line of David that Jesus came. So David had a big dream, and God said, that's a great dream. I love your dream, David. I love the way you're thinking. You're not the one to fulfill it. David didn't let go of the desire. He asked permission to at least collect the stuff to get all the supplies. You know, a similar thing happened to me several years ago. I got a call from a friend, from a former attendee at Pleasant Hill Community Church, asking if they could borrow some of our metal chairs because their now adult son, young adult son, about the same age as my son, was headed off on his own. He had finished school. He got a new job. They were doing a little going away party for him. Wanted to know if they could borrow some chairs. Yes. The answer is almost always yes. Whenever we can help, we help. 
And I remember the, the kid coming. <laughs> he would be upset with me calling me kid. But, you know, at, at certain age, everybody's a kid. I remember him coming, pulled up out there. I'm helping him heft chairs into a pickup truck. We're talking. We're reminiscing about times in the gym and about the old youth group. And he's asking about different kids and all. And Charlene and I were invited to the party, and we went. And, and uh, I recall sitting there. And we're at the tables where the older people are. And they had a fire pit. And a bunch of the kids, the 20-somethings, were around the fire pit. And they were talking and they were laughing and you know, they cracked open a few beers and had some celebratory cigars and were just you know, being who they were. And my heart went out to them. And in that moment, I said, God, is there any way that I could somehow be that adult father figure, Christ example to them who could, you know, just sit around and listen to them and hear their questions and kind of provide some kind of guidance or future? Lord, could I do that? God didn't answer that prayer to date. That prayer has never gone away. But in essence, God said to me, Scott, don't lose that desire. You need to be praying for the next generation. You need to be praying for what I'm going to do. But don't rush in and try to make it work. Can you imagine how awkward it would have been had I walked up to the fire pit and said, Hey, guys, what's happening? And sat down and it would have been like crickets. Who's the weird old guy? Why is he here? Can you make him go away? Maybe we can go away. And we did walk over and wish our friend well and shook his hand and thanked him for letting us come and hoped things went well. And, And a couple days later, they brought the chairs back. We chatted a little bit more. But no one said, you know, you look like a wise old man. I think I might need to learn something from you. Nah didn't happen. That desire has never left me. But, but obedience dictates that I wait. It's not wrong to have a dream for God, but don't try to make it happen. Paul said, I long to come to you, but it hasn't happened yet. And Paul says, but I am going to come to you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Now it's possible that Paul had some insight that you and I don't have here. Paul may have already had a a clear vision that God was sending him to Spain. Spain was, however so, definitely on his mind. And in that time, Spain was the end, the far reaches of the known world. Nobody in that time in 56 AD knew what was beyond Spain. And so going to Spain was like going to the outer reaches And it seems clear from the internal nature of what he was saying that Paul was not only hoping to go to Spain, he was hoping that the Roman church would get the idea that he needed some assistance from them to get there. He actually says that. You see, when he first started out, he and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch. And they went out through the minor, Asia Minor, what we'd call Asia Minor, and they planted churches and they preached the gospel. And then what did they do? They came back to Antioch and reported. Antioch became that base of operations. 
But now it seems that there needs a, a western base of operation. And that western base is Rome. It's the, most, it's the seaport. It's the place to go out. And Paul would go out from Rome and go to Spain. And he's saying, I'm going to need some help. This is the, the logical place. And so I want you to know this is my plan. I'm going to Spain, and guess what? You're going to help me. Paul takes a great risk here. That's why I think this is kind of level five communication. He shares his dream. He shares his plan. He has no idea how it's going to be received. But he knows in his heart that this is a dream that he believes God wants him to pursue. And he lets it be known. You ever shared your dream with anybody? You ever shared your dreams? The fear we have, the risk we take when we share, oh, I have this big dream, is that we will be, at best, doubted, and at worst, mocked. It's risky to share your deep desires. It's that level five intimacy and trust to share your deep desires but when you and I deeply believe God is leading, then sharing with trust and trusted friends becomes a way God uses to enlist their help. Paul says, I'm going to Spain. But he then says, however, now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Paul was a realist. Here's my dream. Here's the direction. I have this big dream for God. It's worth pursuing. But for now, I have to do something else that God's called me to do. I'm not going to entrust this offering I've been collecting with just anybody. I need to take it back to Jerusalem. The scholars tell us that Paul was writing the letter of Romans from the city of Corinth, which makes sense because not far from Corinth was Centre, and if he sent Phoebe to carry the letter to Rome, it would just make sense that she was right there in the vicinity. We know from letters that we read in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, which are two of maybe four letters that were written, that Paul is uh, collecting money to take back to Jerusalem to give to the church there. By the time we're in 50, 60 AD, Jerusalem had, the, the believers in Jerusalem had fallen on very hard times. And so they needed help. And Paul realizes that his own desires and longings are subject to the realities of ministry on a daily basis. We also know from the book of Acts, Paul made it to Jerusalem. He got there. And we can see in the book of Acts that they accepted the gift. But when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested. He eventually, after several trials appealed his case to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. So Paul made it to Rome. He got there. He got there as a prisoner. He spent at least two years under house arrest. So his desire to go to Rome was fulfilled at the expense of the Roman government. Sometimes. Sometimes God fulfills the desires of our hearts in ways we could never imagine. Many years ago, my, my dear wife, first of all, struggled with me through seminary in this way. Every time we had a chapel speaker, I had a new vision. 
You know, and, and in fact, I read something, and, 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 and I'll say it now, and I might repeat it later. I had to learn that every need does not necessarily constitute a personal call of God. I would come home and say, we are going to the inner city of Chicago, and we are going to minister here. And I would come home, no, no, we're going to South America, and we're going, no, no, we're going to go to, you know what, prison ministry is really where it's at. I mean, I mean, the poor girl, I, I felt, I mean, I just, you know, she finally had to realize, oh, you're just kind of dreaming out loud. I don't really need to pay attention, but I, I can do it with such intensity that it was like, woohoo, this is where we're going, my poor wife. But when we were done with seminary, I'd graduate. I'd been in youth ministry for several years. I graduated with two master's degrees, and and we thought, you know, we do have a heart for missions. And we had a, a friend who had been at a, a, a school in Germany, a missionary children's school, and we wrote to her sponsoring mission and said, here's who we are. We've done this, this, and this. We have this education. Charlene had a teaching degree. We think God might be calling us to explore ministry at this children's missionary children's school and we want to know from you what what do you what are the first steps we need to take the letter i received back i have shared the gist of the letter with missionary people all over the planet and they have looked at me in shock and awe and disbelief because the letter i received back was thank you for your interest but we believe you need more experience, and we would tell you to stay where you are. What? I, usually it's like, we need help like yesterday. We need help like last week. We were blown away. We, were, we really were just like totally stunned. A few weeks later, we're at our church, and we were doing a commissioning service for some missionaries. Charlene is sitting kind of over in that direction. That I think pianos in churches are always to the speaker's right. Uh, so Charlene was to the speaker's right. I'm on the platform with the pastors at our church, and we went through this. As we're driving home that night, I don't know which one of us said it first, but it was like one said it, and the other said I was thinking this, saying, you know, maybe... Maybe this is what God's called us to. Maybe God's called us to help send others. It was a few years ago, we, we found, a few years later, we ran across a book entitled Serving as Senders. And uh, the, the author in that book, a man by the name of Neil Parolo, says he, he uses the military as his example, and he says, for every one soldier on the front line, there are at least seven support personnel behind them. We need that. And, and we thought, well, maybe that's what God's calling us to do. So we, we said, okay, God, how do we do that? And over the years, we have had so many opportunities to be support personnel. You know, if we went, yes, we would impact some children, but to stay, I can't, I, I've lost track of missionaries that we have stored their earthly belongings in our garage or our basement. Missionaries who have stayed in our house, not just overnight, sometimes for weeks on end. You know, and, and then being part of developing a missionary residence where over the past 18 years, as you saw that email today, so many families have come through and we've been able to minister to them and you have joined us in that. 
You know, and, and interesting, it was all the way back in, in Indiana. I called our missions chairman into my office one day. I said, hey, come here. I want you to look out the window. We had an empty lot. I said, wouldn't it be cool if our church had a house that we didn't send people halfway around the world to build, that we developed a work team and we built a house, maybe some duplexes, and we had a missionary residence right here. I left. Two years later, not in the same location, they built a missionary residence with a full house on the upstairs and the basement. And, and, and it's like, oh, man. And I thought, wow, God, you fulfilled my dream. Not in the way I thought it would happen, but in the way you did. Because sometimes God fulfills the desires of our hearts in ways we can never imagine. Paul said, I need to go to Rome. God said, I'm paying for the trip. No, I'm not even paying for the trip. Rome is paying for the trip. Yeah, you're going to have some shackles on. Yeah, you're going to fall into the sea. Yeah, you're going to get shipwrecked. But all along the way, I'm taking care of you, Paul. But here's one thing we don't know. We don't know if Paul ever made it to Spain. We have no biblical record of that. There's tradition. Tradition says after spending two years in house arrest, he was released and that he went on to Spain. Tradition said, but then upon his return from Spain to come back to report to the Roman church, things had changed in Rome. And he was arrested again and eventually martyred. But the fact is, we don't really know. It may be that his deep desire to go to Spain and his expression of that desire to go to Spain spurred an interest in some others, and they went out and they carried out the dream. You see, sometimes when I'm open about the desires God has placed in my heart, he uses that to inspire someone else. Because of God's grace, you can have a dream worth pursuing. How do we pursue those dreams when we don't even know when or where to start? I think the second half of this passage answers that. Listen as I pick it up in verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. How do I pursue dreams when I don't even know when or where to start? Well, I say because of God's grace, you and I have access to divine power. Because of God's grace, you and I have access to divine power. And I cannot emphasize enough the importance of prayer. Prayer isn't just talking to God. It's communicating with God. It's in prayer that we share our heart and our desires. It's in prayer that we praise God. And it's as we wait in prayer that God sometimes speaks to us. Sometimes prayer feels like you're doing nothing. Sometimes prayer feels like you're just talking. Sometimes we will doubt the need to pray because we figure, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. But 
Paul invites the Roman church to join me in my struggles by praying to God for me. Paul says, I want you to join me. Join me in my struggles. Well, I'm not going to Spain. I'm not asking you to go to Spain. Just join me. How do you want me to join you? I don't have any money. Join me and pray. Join me in my struggles through prayer. Pray for me. Pray for what God's doing. Pray that he has a specific request. We need to realize that when we pray for someone else, when we pray for our missionaries, when we pray for our children that are going to school and for their parents and for their teachers and for the administration and for the staff, when we pray for others, when we pray for people right here at Pleasant Hill Community Church, when we pray on the prayer chain, we are joining with someone else. We are participating with them because we were not called to live in isolation. God's design for humanity from the very beginning was relationship. And when we pray, we are joining into relationship and we become that called out community. That's what the word church actually means. The word church, the Greek word, means called out. It was used in the, in, the, in the market square. It was used in the cities when, the, when they had a, a meeting. They would call out the people, call out the citizens to come together. We are a community. And, and so when you hear me talk about Pleasant Hill Community Church being a family and connecting and joining together, that's what a community does. We are a community that God has established in this place for this time. And when we pray, we join together as a community. We become part of the process. And I'm going to tell you, if, you, if you're on the email list for any of our missionaries and you actively pray for them, then when you get an email telling about something that's going on, it's like, yeah, cool, wow, because you were part of that. That's why I shared with you that email this last week about our missionary residents. I, the, the, the note that the, the family said, sent to us was just so tender. And I've heard other missionaries say that. They've said, you know, there's something about living in a place where it's uh, your house at that moment. They say, you know, if we're staying with somebody else, we're always on. You know, sometimes, you may not know this, maybe it's just my family, sometimes there's conflict. And sometimes you need to work out that conflict. And you really don't want to work out that conflict when somebody's in the next room that can hear all about it. You don't want to walk out of the room where you're in conflict and have everybody there sitting drinking coffee, not saying anything, like pretending they didn't hear. It's nice to be in your own space. And by God's grace, that's what we provide. But when you look at those statistics, over 21 families in 18 years, and some of those for more than, more than once. I want two families combined six, six times in the residence. Uh, that's us. God gave us the opportunity to do that. That's what it means to join and when we join one another in our struggles, we join in our joys, we join in our sorrows, we join in our challenges, we join in our victories, and we do that when we pray for one another. Paul says, join me in prayer. You may not have kids in school anymore. 
You may be done with going to Target and loading up on school supplies and wondering if you got the right ones and thinking whoever came up with this list and what were they thinking and sending four or five Kleenex boxes to school. You may be done with all of that. And if you are, praise God. It's, it's, it's fun to step back as a grandpa and watch it happen. But we also participate and help out some. You may be done with all of that, but you can join those families. You can join those families. Whatever choice of education, homeschool, Christian school, public school, you join them. You join them as you pray for them. You may not know many teachers, but I'm going to tell you there are teachers in school districts nationwide. There are teachers in our school district that are good and godly people that are there saying, this is my ministry to the community, and you join them in their ministry and you pray for them. You may not know the parents who homeschool, but you join them in their ministry to their children and you pray for them. You may not know the professors, but you join them in their ministry and you pray for them. And that's what it's about. And Paul says this is a community that to be built on prayer. And he says, here are three things to pray for. He says, pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers. If you go back and you read Acts 21 through 28, you're going to see how God repeatedly answered that prayer in unique ways. And but, but I'm going to tell you, Paul's life between Acts 21 and Acts 28 was not all hearts and flowers. It was hard, it was dangerous. He was, he was beat up once. He was uh, taken in and uh, uh, there, there was an assassination attempt on him that his nephew was able to foil. He, it was not all hearts and flowers, but he made it to Rome. God kept him safe. He says, too, pray that the contribution will be favorably received. And you can gather from Acts 21, verses 17 to 20, it was well received. God answered that prayer. And he said, pray that I can come to you with joy by God's will and be refreshed. And he did get to them. And he got there in a circuitous way. He was shipwrecked, but he made it. And the end of Acts says this. Acts 28, 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You read the book of Philippians, he says, the whole praetorian guard has heard about Christ because of my chains. Amazing. Because of God's grace, you have access to divine power. Because of God's grace, you can have a dream worth pursuing. But I want you to note very, very carefully as we wrap this up, Paul's dream was not about Paul. Paul's dream was not about making more money. Paul's dream was not about getting more famous. Paul's dream was not about going viral on TikTok. Paul's dream was, 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 not, about doing all, was not about getting more and more and more. Paul's dream was doing all he could in the place and time in which God had put him to point others to Jesus. I will do whatever I can. I will face whatever you put in front of me so that by some way I can point other people to Jesus. That was Paul's dream. God's power through prayer is not about somehow making you or me great. It's always about making God great. As we sang, you, God, deserve the greater glory. Now consider what you've been thinking as you've been listening. Do you sense God wanting to do something through you? 
Don't feel pressure. Don't feel like, oh, now i got to write something down. This is not a homework assignment. It's possible nothing comes to mind right now, and that is okay because God stirs your heart and he stirs your mind in his time, not in yours. It may be that you look around and you're just overwhelmed. Oh, my goodness, we got Maui and we got this and we got that. It's just, I don't even know where to start. Reminder again, there are endless needs. Every mailer, every podcast, every newscast reminds you of all the needs. Breathe. As I said earlier, not every need is God's personal call to you to meet it. From my own personal experience, you stress your loved ones out when you think you have to meet every personal, every need. You will, and, and the other thing I was reminded years ago is there's only one Messiah, and you're not him. So breathe. Pray. Seek God. Ask him to reveal in his time what he wants to do through you. Sometimes God will change your direction. Sometimes he'll show you a way to fulfill that thing that you had in your heart and that you never imagined. That happened to us. Sometimes he will tell you, just wait, because right now the most important thing is I want to strengthen you, I want to heal you, I want to grow you so that you have the emotional, spiritual, physical strength to do what I'm calling you to do. So be willing to wait. Other times God says, I want to use you, and I know you're not perfect, but I want to use you as a wounded helper to come alongside someone else who's wounded and to walk with them. And maybe for now, God says, I want you to pray for those that are, air quotes, in the trenches. Pray for those who are doing ministry and know that that might be sufficient for right now. Nothing Paul planned in this passage happened the way he thought it was going to happen. But he knew that he had a dream worth pursuing because of God's grace. And he knew that he had access to divine power because of God's grace. And so he simply did the next thing God put before him. And that's what you and I need to do as well. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminders from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his dreams and for his willing to express those. Thank you, Lord, that we can read how you worked in his life in ways that were far different than what he drew it up as. And help us, Lord, if nothing else, help us to, one, learn what it means to wait on you. Develop an ear to learn to listen to you and obey you in the next thing that you put before us. And to be satisfied that that is enough for now. In Jesus' name, amen.